This morning, what we're going to be thinking about is what we value. What we're going to be thinking about is what we love. What we're going to be thinking about is kind of getting under the surface of our everyday lives and asking the question, really, what is it that we love? What makes us tick? What is it that drives us and motivates us in our lives? What's going on down in the deep, dark recesses of our hearts and minds? You see, what we're going to find this morning is John say something very, very simple to us, and it goes like this. Don't love the world. That's all he's going to say. And then we're going to look through the rest of what he says, giving reasons as to why we shouldn't love the world. But it begins with that. Don't love the world. Now, I wonder what comes into your minds when I say something like that. Because I think there's going to be parts of us that are thinking... Uh Uh-oh, I I think he's going to make me sweat this morning, make me feel guilty. Uh, Yeah, I know what it means to not love the world. Or maybe there's part of you that's thinking, um, don't love the world. Yes, I need to kick up the backside. I need to hear this kind of stuff. I want to hear this. And and maybe there's part of us that's thinking, oh, uh, I've heard this before. I've heard this preached a million times. Uh, I don't know why I showed up this morning. Maybe maybe you're there. Or or, or maybe you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, when he says don't love the world, I think he's going to tell me to not love my car, to not love my house, and to get rid of Netflix. That's what he's going to do. He's going to ask me to do that. Hang on a second. Let's just come back to square one. Because John doesn't necessarily talk about what we have. He doesn't necessarily talk about what we do. What does John say? Don't love the world. You see, John wants to go a little bit deeper than what we have and what we do, because that is, yeah, it's worth talking about it, but it's superficial, it's surface level. What he wants to talk about is what we love. Why does he want to talk about it? Because he knows people like you and me can love things without realizing. He knows that if we actually stop for a moment or two and assess our lives and contemplate and examine our own hearts, that deep down we might be loving things we didn't even know we loved. We might value things that we didn't even see. Now this this week we had some visitors come over from California, friends from university. Hadn't seen them in ages and it was such a good time to catch up with them. And I was thinking to myself as they were on the flight over, I was thinking about what it was going to be like when we were going to catch up. Like I was kind of thinking to myself, well, I'm kind of like those guys anyway. I mean, I lived in Chicago for five years. I'm married to an American. Most of the films I watch are American. The, the pastors and the theologians I read, they're American. I guess I'm just somewhere in the Atlantic. I guess that's where I am. But when they showed up and kind of looked at the way I did life, they were like, man, you really are English, aren't you? They were like... <laughs> You, you really do like fish and chips, don't you? Oh, yeah, I guess I do. You drink a lot of tea, James. Oh, yeah, I do. James, you're really good at standing in queues without complaining. You really are English. Uh, And James, you complain about the weather. Whatever the weather is, you really are more English than you realize. Sometimes we value things. Sometimes we think things. Sometimes we love things that we don't even realize are going on in our hearts. John wants to get down there. He wants to get into the roots, the very things that make us tick, and say, let's have a look at this. Let's examine where we are. So why don't you grab those Bibles? We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, kicking off in verse 15. We're doing three verses this morning. So quite a short passage. If you've got these black hardback Bibles on the ends of the pews, I think the page is 1,228. I think. 
So get those open. Get it open on your phones. If you've got your Bible with you, let's have those open. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. Now, let's do a little bit of a preview before we get stuck in here. John's been talking about what it means to look different, what it means to look set apart, what it means to be a kind of Christian community that shines the light of God into this rather dark and broken world. So far, he's talked about what it means to have a clear and faithful picture of who Jesus is. Then he's gone on to talk about having a serious idea of sin and saying that God forgives in the sufficient Jesus Christ. So we've seen that. And then last week we saw the commandment, love one another. So we're made distinct because we do those things. Now he's going to say we're made distinct because we think about the values, the philosophies, and the patterns of thought in society, in culture, in the world. We think about those differently. That's what makes us different. So what we're going to do, we're going to read through this, and then I want to pick this apart. So let's read together. Verse 15 goes like this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So very simple, short passage there. And it's actually, unlike the rest of John's letter, quite easy to organize right here. Because in the very first bit of verse 15, he says, don't love the world or the things in the world. And then the rest of the passage, so second half of verse 15, down to 17, he provides three incentives or three reasons, three truths as to why we shouldn't love the world. So very simple. Don't do it. Let me give you three truths why. So I'm going to throw up these three truths. We'll get there in a moment. But just to kind of orientate ourselves with this passage, he gives us the hard truth, the really hard truth, and the best truth. But before we get there, we have to ask the question. Before we get there, we have to ask the question, what does it mean to love the world? What what does that even mean? How do we love the world? Well, to understand that, we have to understand what the word world means. Now, in the, in the Bible, as we read through, in particular in the New Testament, there's three specific ways the word world is used. Well, the first way it's used is to talk about creation. So we're talking about the land, the sea, the sky, the mountains, the rivers, the beautiful creation that we've been given, the planet we live on. So it can mean that. Another way the world can be used, or the word world, is to talk about the people that live on the world. So, humanity in general. Now, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. So, it's talking about the people who live in the world, on the world, who, who have the image of God in them. You can mean that. But world can also mean, now hear me here, world can also mean the corrupt and broken system of values that fallen humanity has created and imposes on themselves. I'll say that again. The third way we can understand world is to say this corrupt and broken, self-absorbed, self-centered kind of value system that broken, sinful humanity has created and then lives out and imposes upon others. That's the definition of world that John is using here. So he's saying that broken value system that human beings have created makes them really self-centered. That value system, don't love it. 
So when John says don't love the world, what he really means is to say don't absorb this broken way of thinking about where you find happiness. Don't absorb this messed up, sinful, self-centered value system that we see in our culture and our society that causes you to be about you. Don't love that stuff. So, so if we're, we're okay, we've got don't love the world, so don't absorb or embrace that system of values. We've got to ask the question, does John give us any clues as to what values they might be? Well, he does. Look at in verse 16. We'll get there in more detail in a little bit, but he says, for all that is in the world, look at these three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So it might be translated in your Bible as the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life. Now look at each of those. You've got lusts of the flesh. So the flesh is our broken sin nature that wants to do things contrary to what God would have. That's our sin nature. So it's fulfilling or satisfying our bodily sinful desires on things that are temporary. So lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. What does that mean? looking at something and wanting it, thinking, if I had that thing, I would be happy. So it's it's coveting, it's the desires of the eyes. I will find happiness if I have that thing. And then the pride of life, that this is, when I get that thing, I'll be better than anybody else. So so I'll, I'll be superior. Now notice, those three things, they all have something in common. It's all about me. It's all about fulfilling me. Temporarily, of course, but it is all about me. So I think that's what John is saying in this passage, that the values that the world embodies, if you could boil it down and if you could condense it, what the world would encourage you to do, what the world would encourage you to have, what the world would encourage you to live and to think by, is to be all about you. That seems to be what the world would encourage people to do, to fulfill your desires just however you feel on that given day, regardless of those around you. Put your your source of happiness in something you can have. And then when you get that thing, you'll be better than anyone else so you feel superior. So it all condenses into me, me, me. Self-centered, self-absorbed. So that seems to be what John is saying. So conclude all of that together. Do not love the world. Do not embody this system of values that causes you to be about you. Really simple right there. Don't be about that. Don't be about you. You haven't been created for that. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Now, the rest of the passage, John then gives us these three incentives, these three reasons, or these three truths as to why we shouldn't embody and embrace that self-centered system of values in our lives. So he gives us three truths. So let's, let's read verse 15 again. We'll get the first one here. Do not love the world or the things of the world. There's this thesis statement, first reason. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You'll say that again. The love of the Father is not in him. So I think what John very simply is saying here is that there isn't room in your heart, in your mind, and in your life for two competing value systems. You can't have two center points in your life. We know that that kind of living falls apart. When you're trying to live with two competing goals, two different ultimates, two different ends and purposes to your lives, things will start to fall apart. So what John seems to be saying right here is that you can't live with both. Now, I can't believe I'm going to refer to a Christmas film right now, but I'm going to do it. Has anybody seen Jingle All the Way with with Arnold Schwarzenegger? That's like one of my go-to Christmas films. I love it. I love it. So, so the, the, the film goes that 
Arnold Schwarzenegger is uh, a workaholic dad, and it's, it's having an, a negative impact on his son and on his marriage, and, and he's really, really screwed up, and he, he can't seem to get it right, and hits a really bad spot with his son, a bad spot with his wife, and, uh, and he wants to kind of resolve this by getting his son the toy that's all the rage. He has to go find a turbo man. So, so he's driving around everywhere to find this turbo man, happy ending in the, uh, at the end of the film, and everything's resolved. But the whole crisis of the film surrounds this guy who just can't get this, this priority straight. You know, he knows he needs to be at work and he wants to throw himself into work. Work's demanding and he has to give it everything. But on the other side, he's got these kids, uh, he's got a kid and he's got a wife and he needs to be taking care of them too. And he just can't quite get the priority right. Now, I know we all really struggle with that. I know what that feels like. We know what that's like. But you'll see in the movie, it, it functions around this r- misordering of priorities. And so he has to try and learn, I can't live for these two things. I've got to reprioritize my life a little bit. The whole crisis is that he's trying to live with two things and things fall apart. John seems to be saying, you can't live with these two ends and purposes to your life. You can't embody the world's values and live for the Lord at the same time. These two don't go together. So the first, the hard truth he gives us is that you can't live for both. You can't live for both God and for the world. You can't embody those values at the same time. Perhaps we think about it like a spider's web. You know when you go out in the morning and you see the, the, the dew drops have created like beautiful condensation on a spider's web and the, the morning sun hits it and it just looks absolutely stunning. I don't like spiders, but I like their webs. I like looking at them. I think they're amazing. But every web has something in common. They have a center point in the middle, don't they? And everything from the center kind of emanates from that bit right there. Now, we know the web would fall apart. The whole web would fall apart if there were two center points. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. I not how a spider builds it, but there is a center point. So John seems to be saying, you can't have two things going on here. The threads of your life, it's going to get very confusing and it won't make sense. There needs to be that center point. So your choice is to choose which type of values to embody. Which thing are you going to love? Now, now let's bring this down to earth just a little bit more closely. Let's, let's take our money, for example. Say, say, for example, we were to embody the world's values with money. What would we say? Well, money makes me happy. So I'll get more of it and I'll be more happy. Uh, 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 My money's for me. It belongs to me. I've worked hard and I'll do with it whatever I like. It's all mine. I've worked hard for this. It'll make me happy and I'm going to work for more so I can be more happy. But, But then we go across and see perhaps the Lord's values over money. Well, everything we have has been given by him. So, so, so the money isn't necessarily ours. He's put it into our hands so that we can steward this money. That he's, he's given us the job we work. He's given us the air in our lungs. He's provided us with opportunities. He's sustained us. He's kept us alive. That all that we have is his. And the money he gives to us belongs to him. And it's not in that we're going to be happy. It's in him we'll find true and lasting happiness. You see, if you try and live with your money with those competing aims, what happens? Things get very confusing quickly. Money's for me? Wait. Or money's for, it comes from the Lord and I steward it for his purposes. That gets very confusing. What what about marriage? Let's think about marriage. If if we take a worldly perspective on marriage is that marriage is about me. My marriage is about my satisfaction and my happiness. 
And if my spouse doesn't get their act together, I'm out of this because marriage is disposable. I forget about commitment. Isn't marriage supposed to be about me? And then what do we read about God's intention for marriage? Actually, it's about the spouse. It's about flourishing, encouraging the other half of your marriage to flourish. It's not about you. The Lord wants to see commitment in your marriage. He wants to see you laying yourself down and sacrificially loving the other one in your marriage. So try and live out marriage with those two things going on. That's probably where most of our problems come because we say it's about me and we know the Lord says, no, it's about the other one. You see what John is saying? You can't live with these two values through those threads of your life. He wants us to be challenged to choose what we're actually embodying, what values we're living by. So the hard truth, you can't do both. What about the really hard truth? Let's look at verse 16 and the first half of 17. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Let's stop there. Because what John is doing is now saying, all right, let me expose how the world works. Let me show you what the world is all about. And he does two very distinct things. Firstly, he shows us that it's empty and it's not satisfying. And then he says it's temporary and won't last forever. So how does he say it's empty? He says the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. So it's self-serving and it's empty. It doesn't satisfy in a lasting way. And then it's, what does he say at the beginning of 17? It's passing away along with its desires. So it's temporary and this worldly living isn't going to satisfy and it's not going to last forever. So what's John saying here? This is the really hard truth. I want us to think about this. The really hard truth is, next slide, Peter. Thank you. (laughs) It's empty and it's temporary. It's empty and it's temporary. Now, why does John want to try and expose some of the inner workings of how the world educates us? Why does he want to expose it? I think it's because we need to stop, we need to examine, and we need to think about how those values have been integrated into our unconscious ways of thinking. So very often we know this worldly kind of thinking, this kind of self-centered, you live for you, you do things for you, comes into our life and educates us without us realizing. And John wants to show us that. He wants us to see it. I don't know the Harry Potter films really, really well, but what I do know is that there is a mirror in the Harry Potter books. I don't know which one, but it's called the Mirror of Erised. Anybody know? Uh, did I say that right? The mirror of error said. Yeah, I'm getting a couple of nods. Good. Okay, said it right. The mirror of error said, and you know that's desire backwards. So the mirror, and so so what happens is that Albus Dumbledore, I think, introduces the mirror, and anybody who stands in front of it sees their deepest, darkest desires that they didn't even know they had. So, so Albus Dumbledore says that people have spent their whole lives in front of the mirror of error said because they see their deepest desire and they can't get away from it because they want it so bad. Now, now, people seem to be quite reluctant to stand in front of this mirror because the mirror will show them something that they don't always, they didn't realize was there. Sometimes they don't know what their deepest desire is until they stand in front of this mirror. It exposes what's going on. John's doing that right here with the world. He wants us to look inside and see, where are we loving the world? Where have we embodied this 
system of values that cause us, causes us to go inward on ourselves. We know this to be true, right? The more we become about ourselves, the more depressed, disillusioned, confused, and miserable we get. I know that I speak for myself. I know the more about James I get, the more miserable, depressed, confused, and perplexed I become at life. The more about me I become, the more miserable. This is true across life. So, John seems to be saying, calling us away from this mentality to say, look, you're called to something different. He wants us to be discerning. He's uncovering the world to say, can you just stop for a second? Can you just look across your life and see how you have been educated by this system of values? You know, if John could step into here this morning, he'd say, right, let's talk about how you use your phones. Let's talk about how you watch TV. Let's talk about how you read your newspaper. Let's talk about what you think when you walk into the ark in Bury and you're walking through some of the shops. Uh, let's talk about how you use Instagram. Let's talk about what you think about, about the likes on Facebook. Let's, let's talk about this kind of stuff. Now, now you know, our, our, world, our, our country spends tens of billions of pounds a year to try and educate us with certain things. And I've worked in shops before, and you get given this plan of how you have to set the shop up, and the whole aim is to get you to buy your, their stuff so that, as they say, it will make you happier. You feel, will feel more fulfilled. That's how it goes. It says you will be happy if you have this. If you satisfy the lust of your eyes, the lust of your flesh, you will, you will be better than anyone else, the pride of life. And that, that seems to be how it works. We get educated with it's about you. It's about your popularity. It's about your achievement. It's about the kind of house you have, the kind of car you drive. It's about your promotions at work. It's the kind of job you have. This is all about you. It's about people liking you. It's about you being a somebody. John wants us to stop. He wants us to be discerning. He wants us to see through and identify certain things in our life, certain patterns of thought, ways we do things. He wants a constructive, critical eye. On every single thing we do in our lives where we end up embodying a worldly system of values that says, hey, you know what? This is about you. John's like, no. Can we just see through this? When you walk into a shop in town, you see those happy people on the poster in the corner? That's a lie. It's not going to make you happy if you buy that new t-shirt or whatever. Or or when you see those adverts on TV, you know, when those really, really uh, uh, good-looking people, incredibly happy in that wonderful resort, that's not going to make you happy. You think that's going to make you happy? It's going to make you more about you. Come on, let's see this. Let's look through this. Let's discern what the world is actually educating us with. That's what John is trying to do. And that's a hard truth for us. It's a really hard truth to see that the values of the world actually lead us To a life that's empty and temporary. But John gives us the alternative. Verse 17, let's read all of that again. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now John's not saying there, if you do the will of the Lord, you will be be a really, really good Christian and acceptable to God. We know that. We've said it 101 times here at BRBC. 
You don't become a Christian through your good, good, good behavior. That's not how it works. Not, we don't believe in work salvation. We don't believe you are righteous in God's sight because you've managed to modify some of your behavior. No, it's faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we preach that we are saved by grace alone. So John isn't saying that. The Bible's not about that. What John seems to be saying right here is there's something better to live for. There's something you can do that will last forever. There is things you can do with an eternal impact. There's something far more fulfilling and more satisfying to shoot for in your life. And what does he say? It's the will of the Lord. It's, it's living for the Lord. It's living as he has called you to live. Those kinds of things are lasting. So run away from the things that are temporary. Run away from the things that don't satisfy you. Run away from these things and see that living for the Lord, there, there is an eternal significance. That's what you need to know. So here's the third truth that John gives us. It's the best truth. Living for God is lasting. Living for the Lord is lasting. Now I kind of see this passage coming from a pastor who's really, really old, because John is old at this point, writing to people who feel a little bit confused and disillusioned about how they should live their lives. Now, at this point, John writes this. he's, He's lived a long life of ministry. He's seen the fleeting, the the futility of the world around him. And he seems to be saying in a very loving yet direct and instructing way, hey guys, can we just stop in our tracks? I've lived life. I met Jesus. I lived with him. I know what matters. Can you just see where true satisfaction resides? It's not in you. The answer's not there. And it's not living for you. It's living for the Lord and serving him. That's where satisfaction is going to reside. Now, two or three years before my granddad died, uh, I was living away from home. And so we used to call each other every week. And our conversations used to run on for about 20, 30 minutes perhaps. And it would be full of small talk the whole time. So for granddad, that was talking about the weather. It was talking about the amount of rain they've had. He was really into chickens, so talking about different breeds of chickens he'd found or whatever. He'd want to know about where we were living. He wanted to know about Quincy's family, the lot. So it was a lot of small talk. But every now and again, Granddad would see it as his opportunity to kind of impart a small nugget of wisdom to me. And he'd usually go like this. He'd say, right now, Jamie boy, he used to go, right now, listen you here, Jamie boy, he'd say, listen you here. And then he would impart some kind of wisdom it would be something along the lines of, you've got a really good wife, boy. Look after her. Or it would be something like, oh, oh uh, you, you need to know, you need to know, you need to go to church. You need to say your prayers, Jamie boy. Or it would be something along the lines of, have you been loving people as you should do, Jamie boy? And then he would kind of descend into small talk again. But I love those moments, those little nuggets of wisdom that he would give me. Because this was a life of a man who was in his early 80s. He had seen it all. He'd seen it all. He'd seen people throwing themselves at their jobs and not finding satisfaction. He'd seen people throwing themselves at elevating themselves and promoting themselves and pursuing things that were just empty and temporary. And at the end of his long, hard work life, he was able to say, this is what matters. That's exactly what John seems to be doing right here. He seems to be calling every single one of us in this room to just stop, stop. Do you know you're chasing after things that don't last? 
You're chasing after things that you think will make you happy because the world has promised you you'll be happy on these. No, they don't last. You know what lasts and you know what really matters is serving the Lord. The will of the Lord abides forever. Doing the will of the Lord abides forever. You see what John is saying there? And I think that needs to hang over us all this morning, doesn't it? Every single one of us in this room. John's calling us to be discerning. He's calling us to stop. He's calling us to look under the surface and to ask us about what we love, about what we value, about what we're pursuing, about where we're trying to find satisfaction and failing miserably. John gives us the best truth that living for the Lord is lasting. Do not love the world. John tells us why. Hey, let's pray and then we'll sing our last song together. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that it speaks into our lives. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, uh, you would uncover, you would uncover in our hearts some of the ways that we have embodied the wrong values. We have loved the wrong thing. We have chased after the stuff that eventually is empty and temporary. So we pray that by your strength, you would help us to be the kind of people who don't love the world, who don't embody those values, who aren't centered on self. But Lord, we want to be a kind of people who live for you, putting others above ourselves. Help us to not love the world. We're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.